uh, glad to be back. Good to see what the Lord is doing and he continues to do. And what a world we live in. So many things going on. So many stories breaking. Such an exciting time to be alive. And so if you haven't watched, and, and I saw a few hands didn't go up at 10 o'clock, that's 10 a.m. Pacific time, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on hischannel.com, there's the program Breaking News, where we look at the stories of the day from a biblical perspective, what's going on. And part of the frustration is, so much is going on, we could never get uh, to all of them. Uh, Craig was telling me how Tom has the same problem I have. I come in, uh, let's put it this way, at the end of the week, there's probably 70 stories I didn't get to each week. There's, and they're great stories, every one. And so, so much is going on like tomorrow. Oh my goodness. Uh, what's happened over the weekend is just incredible. In fact, the message tonight will have something to do with that. Because today's a very special day. Uh, today is in the Israeli calendar, the 9th of Av. The 9th of Av is the day where the first temple was destroyed uh, in uh, 586, 587 BC was the date there. We're not sure the exact year. On the 9th of Av, Av it was the 28th of August of that year. And when the second temple was destroyed in AD 70, it was also the very same day on the Israeli calendar, the 9th of Av. So both temples were destroyed on the same day. Today in Israel is the 9th of Av. It's the commemoration of the destruction of the first and second temple. And here are some of the headlines. More than 1,000 Jews have entered the Temple Mount on Tisha B'Av. Uh, and that was, of course, that's today. 15 Jews arrested at the Temple Mount as record numbers visit for Tisha B'Av. A large number of Israelis fast today, a poll finds. Uh, a nation is divided on this question. And then this headline, which is really interesting. A Temple Mount activist says, we are writing the 25th book of the Bible this year. Someone will say, 25th book? All right, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, they're 24. That's how they divide them. We have 39, they have 24. They're the same books, but they divide them differently. The 12 minor prophets to them is one book. The Kings are one book. Samuel's one book. So they have 24, talking about the 25th book of the Bible uh, this year. In other words, uh, many things are going to happen with respect to uh, fulfilled prophecy. Now, one of the last times I was with you, I think it was about the last time last December or something like that, I just... Uh, finished my book, 25 Signs, we're near the end, and I don't know how I did it. I got through all 25 in a 45-minute period, talking very fast. Well, what I'm going to do is go over one of them that I've talked to you about this before, but it's very, you know, apropos that we're doing it on Tisha B'Av, and again, the day when the uh, temples were destroyed. Because as we say all the time, if you watch his channel, if you watch it at all, we talk about the temple, how central it is, how center stage it is in Bible prophecy. God's clock is the nation Israel. The nation is the hour hand. The city of Jerusalem is the minute hand. But the temple mount is the second hand because it is ground zero. It is, you know, basically it, the epicenter of the events that are going to take place in the future. And so what we're going to do tonight is talk about sign, my sign number eight of the 25 signs. We're near the end. The preparations will be made to build the third temple. Now, again, two temples have existed in the past. The first one, actually, it was, uh, it was David's temple. He had the idea. Solomon gets the credit, but like J. Vernon McGee says, the only temple Solomon had was in his forehead. Uh, it was David's temple. He gathered everything, and Solomon builds it because David was a, a bloody man. It was destroyed by the Babylonians, as predicted by the prophet Jeremiah. They came back, and in 515 B.C., 
A second temple was built, and that lasted some 400 years till A.D. 70, or actually more than that, till A.D. 70, when the uh, second temple was destroyed by the Romans, Titus the Roman. But the Bible talks about a third temple that will be built, which will be center stage for Bible prophecy. So particularly on this day, I think it would be good to go over that again to remind ourselves what's happening. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, and we're going to get the background of this as we look at the testimony of Scripture not only from scripture, but uh, from Bible commentators, those who have literally believed the prophecies of the Bible, that there will be a third temple built someday in the city of Jerusalem in unbelief of Jesus. And like we've said, uh, that preparations are being made right now. The fact that a record number came up to the Temple Mount today uh, just is setting the stage for it. Matthew 23, 37. In the last week of his life, the Lord Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the city of Jerusalem and on the temple. And we read this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, as we've talked about before, this would have really confused the disciples if we back up a little bit. This was during Holy Week, the last week of the life of the Lord Jesus. Palm Sunday had already happened. On Palm Sunday, recall, he receives worship as the Messiah. He accepts the fact that when people say Hosanna and they lay, you know, lay the garments down, they go before and follow after him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's the first time he ever accepted the worship publicly. So the disciples were thinking, finally, all right, this is it. It's finally taking place. It's been three and a half years, the public ministry. He is now for the first time allowing public worship of himself in Jerusalem, the city of the great king, riding the donkey down Palm Sunday Road, according to the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9, the kingdom of God will now start, will now you know, take over right now. The king is here. And then he starts denouncing later that week religious leaders, but then he turns to the city of Jerusalem and the temple and denounces it. He predicts the destruction both of the city, and he talks about their house. Your house is left unto you desolate, as he, you know, because they've turned their back on him. And he says, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is the one or he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now the disciples think, wait a minute, what's going on here? He's the Messiah. According to Isaiah 2, 1 and 2, the Messiah is going to rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem and from the temple. And he is the Messiah. He accepted that. He's had all the credentials, but... Now he's talking about the temple being destroyed. Ah, it must be something symbolic. He must be not talking about the literal temple there. So as they're leaving the Temple Mount, going down the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, as they're beginning to leave, the disciples are showing Jesus the magnificent buildings of the temple, which it really was. When Herod uh, enlarged the temple, starting at 20 BC, even at the time of Jesus, the final touches had not been finished there. It was a magnificent building. In fact, it was in some list one of the eight wonders of the ancient world, the, the second temple there that Herod enlarged. And as they're looking at the magnificent building as they're going away, they're thinking, well, surely he's not talking about, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the destruction of a literal temple here. That couldn't be it. And so um, it, Matthew 24 then says, as Jesus left the temple courtyard and was walking away, his disciples came to him. They proudly pointed out the temple buildings, thinking he can't be talking about this being destroyed if he's the Messiah. Jesus said, you see all these buildings, don't you? 
I can guarantee this truth, that one stone will be left on top of another. All will be torn down. Now, this really must have confused him because he's the Messiah. Messiah is going to rule from the temple, yet he pronounces judgment on the temple. In fact, not only judgment on it, every stone will be torn down. Okay, every one. And that's not going to, nothing's going to be left. So uh, they get to the Mount of Olives. And in verse 3 of Matthew 24, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, say, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? All right. They, they knew something was amiss. They couldn't quite figure it all out. But what is the sign? And this is the question here. What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In other words, what, what, what are all these things? When are they going to take place so we can know when the end is near? Because we thought the end was near right now, but obviously it isn't because you're talking about the temple being destroyed. We have no idea how this is all going to work out. But what sign would, she, would we look for? Now, he gives in verses 4 to 14 a general sign of this a period of great trouble that will come on the earth, but then he gets into the time which we call the Great Tribulation period, the last three and a half years of the final seven-year period before he comes to the earth. And so in verse 15, here's what he says. They want a specific sign. Jesus said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetops not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be on in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. All right. So in answer to the question, Jesus lists a number of points. The abomination of desolation would be the sign that signals the period of great tribulation, which would usher in the kingdom of God. So from this answer of Jesus, first of all, we learn five things. Number one, he was asked for a specific sign regarding his return. He gave a definite sign, the abomination that causes desolation. In other words, he considered, considered Daniel's prophecy as something that was yet future at, and to be fulfilled at some time in the future. It's interesting, in Daniel uh, 12, uh, 12, 11, 9.27, there's a, uh, two passages talking about this particular event, the stopping of the sacrifices, the abomination of desolation, and about, oh, you know, Daniel written about 530 B.C. and 167 B.C., there was an event that took place that the Jews considered a fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel, the abomination of desolation, as Daniel spoke of it. And this is when a king named Antiochus IV comes in uh, to the holy city of Jerusalem. He slaughters a pig on the altar. He puts idols of himself in the holy of holies, he, uh, he, which he claimed was the god, he was the god Jupiter. He stopped the sacrifices to the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He forced the people to worship him. And then he minted a coin with his mug on the front, and on the back it said, and he took, took the name Epiphanes, which means the coming one. He called himself the coming one, and on the coin it said, God manifest. He claimed to be a god, all right? And so when this event took place in 167 B.C., the Jews, remembering what Daniel said, said this is the abomination that causes desolation. But according to Jesus, no, 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 it's still future. That was a coming attraction of it. So the first point is the abomination of desolation is still future. Number two, it concerns the temple. 
and its services. The term holy place, that phrase is a technical term for the temple. So it is still future to Jesus' time. In other words, it had not been fulfilled by Antiochus in 167 BC. Number three, he referred his listeners to the prophet Daniel, who on three occasions spoke of a future defiling of the temple. And according to Jesus, here in AD 33, it was still future. Uh, number four, it's very important to realize that Jesus' prophecy was not fulfilled with the literal destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. The abomination of desolation did not occur, as Daniel predicted, as what Antiochus did, which is a picture of what's going to happen, that never occurred with the destruction of the uh, second temple. It's interesting, too, when you read the history of it, uh, when they were sieging Jerusalem, Titus, the Roman, Titus Vespasian, who basically became Roman emperor right after that, was talking with his generals, and he had decided that, you know, we're Romans, not barbarians. We're not, we're going to destroy the city, but we're not going to destroy the temple because it's, a, you know, magnificent building. And his, his generals argued with him. He said, no, 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 we're not going to have it. The temple will not be destroyed. However, one greater than the temple had already spoken. That's Jesus. And as Josephus, who was an eyewitness to that, tells us, it was one Romans threw a firebrand over the wall there of the temple, and it's just everything seemed to catch fire, and the whole temple was destroyed, just as Jesus predicted. But anyway, it, but there was no stopping of the sacrifices, no abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of in um, AD 70. Okay, so here's our fifth point. Ergo, therefore... The sign of his return, that is the Lord Jesus, revolves around a functioning temple. Since there is no temple presently standing, what's the logical conclusion? Well, another temple needs to be built. All right, so from this passage of Jesus, when he talks about these signs, these five points come to us. Number one, it's the specific sign that he gave. Number two, it concerns the temple and its services. Number three, he refers to Daniel and his prediction. In other words, Daniel has not been fulfilled, what he predicted about that. Number four, uh, it wasn't fulfilled in the literal destruction of Jerusalem either. Some 37 years after he made this prediction, it was still something to be in the future. And consequently, it revolves, the sign revolves around a functioning temple, which has, has just not taken place yet. Okay, now we go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, if you want to turn there next. And all the T-books are together. You find Timothy and Titus, Thessalonians won't be far away. Timothy, Titus, Thessalonians. Well, in most Bibles, actually. It's, it's funny, in some of the Greek Testaments, they're all whack out of whack, you know. They put Revelation after the four Gospels in some of the old manuscripts. You know why? Because Revelation 2 and 3 uh, were the words of Jesus. So they had the, the four Gospels and the book of Revelation came next in some, uh, there's no special lineup of the, the order of the New Testament documents. But anyway, you should find all the T-books together more or less. And if you find 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians isn't far behind, right? All right, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 4. Here's a passage about a future temple uh, found in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that'll give us further information. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the apostasia comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 and 4. Okay, from this passage now, we're going to learn some more things about what Jesus predicted here. It's going to add to our knowledge, all right? 
before Jesus returns, there will be a person coming on the scene of history known as the man of sin, the man of lawlessness. He is the final Antichrist. We've talked about him before. Many Antichrists have come, 1 John 2.18 says, but there's a final one coming. All right. Now, interestingly enough, the man had not yet appeared at the time of Paul's writing to the Thessalonians around AD 50. So he's still looking forward to this final Antichrist coming. So he hadn't showed up yet. So that's the second thing we learned. Number three, the, this act defines what Jesus referred to as the abomination of desolation. What's going to happen? He's going to sit and come to the temple, sit in the temple, claim to be God, and force the people to worship him. Again, uh, th this is exactly what Antiochus did in 167 BC, why they thought Daniel's prophecy was fulfilled then. But, and here again, for our purposes, here's what's extremely important. From the time of Paul's writing until the destruction of the second temple, this event did not occur. No one sat in the temple of God, claimed to be God like Antiochus did in 167 BC. Therefore, our next point, for this event to occur in the future, another temple needs to be built. It has to be built. Another temple needs to be built. So we've got that. So in these two passages here, we find five points in Matthew 24, 15, and from 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, we find uh, six points there that are adding to our knowledge of this. Well, we've got more there. If, again, turn to the Revelation. That will definitely be the last, well, no, it should be the last book in your Bible unless you have a Greek New Testament that has it after the four Gospels. I doubt any of you brought one of those there. I'll never forget the first time I got one of those printed testaments like that. I'm thinking, oh, somebody printed this thing wrong. And then, then, I, then I, was, I, was, I learned that, no, no, in some of the, the, the ancient order, they put that next because the words of Jesus are there. That makes sense after the four Gospels. Anyway, Revelation 13, 11 to 15. All right, we learned about this final Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, right? Well, we're going to find some more information about him, and that's in Revelation 13, 11 to 15. And we're going to find out the false prophet, his cohort, is going to come on the scene. And he's going to, uh, he's called the second beast or the false prophet. And this image that's going to be put in the Holy of Holies of this final Antichrist, this individual is going to be able to give life to the beast, and all the people of the earth will worship the beast and his image. Verse 11 of Revelation 13. Then I saw another beast coming up from the earth. He had two horns like a lamb but was speaking like a dragon. He exercised all the ruling authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and those who inhabit its worship uh, and who made inhabit it worship the first beast, the one whose lethal wound had been healed. He performed momentous signs, even making fire come down from heaven in front of people, and by the signs he was permitted to perform on behalf of the beast, he deceived those who live on the earth. He told those who live on the earth to make an image to the beast who had been wounded by the sword, but still lived. The second beast was empowered to give life to the image of the first beast so that it could speak, and it caused all those who did not worship the image of the beast to be killed. All right, we're going to learn some more things now about this uh, temple, future temple, the abomination of desolation, the such. 
All right, number one, this incident further illustrates Paul's words to the Thessalonians about the abomination that causes desolation. The next temple is defiled by the man of sin who declares himself to be God and has his image placed in the Holy of Holies, just like Antiochus did in 167 BC, an idol of himself in the Holy of Holies. All right, consequently, number two, we need not restrict Paul's words to the physical presence of this final Antichrist in the temple. It is the image of the Antichrist that is built there, okay? The second beast, the false prophet who commanded this image to be made, commanded the people to worship the image of the first beast. Those who don't worship the beast or his image would be put to death. In other words, this act is the abomination that causes desolation. It's an abomination to the Lord because here in the temple you put this image of this beast rather than, you know, in the Holy of Holies, it was only the Ark of the Covenant. It's the only thing that existed there when it still existed. But here you got the image of this beast and they're commanded to worship it. Otherwise, they will be put to death, which causes their desolation, the abomination that causes their desolation, desolation to those who don't worship it. Therefore, Jesus' reference to the abomination of desolation is fully illuminated by what he said, by what John said in the book of Revelation. Number three, this is another indication that another temple needs to be built since the building of this image of the final Antichrist has never occurred in history. All right, one more passage. You go back two chapters here to Revelation 11, and we're going to talk about one more passage of a future temple uh, from the New Testament. And this is John himself again in verses 1 and 2 of Revelation 11. And this gives us a little bit more information. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar and its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. All right, John is told to measure the temple. And he must be referring to a future temple for the following reasons. Number one, it's generally agreed among scholars that John wrote the book of Revelation at the end of his life, around A.D. 90 when he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. If this is the case, he could not be referring to the second temple. Why? Because the second temple was destroyed some 20 years earlier in the year A.D. 70. Now, number two, even if Revelation was composed before the destruction of the second temple, you have to make it really early, like in AD 66, which is uh, very hard to come across with that. Chapter 11 refers to events that are still future. Now, you read chapter 11, what do you see? Okay, appearance of two witnesses, the existence of the man of sin, the death and resurrection of the two witnesses, the great earthquake in Jerusalem, the appearance of the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. Uh, I don't think we would have missed those events had they taken place. They're still future. They have not happened yet. Hence, the temple that John was told them to measure has yet to be built. All right, these are the passages in the New Testament, these four passages that tell us that a third temple must be built because Jesus said, <clears throat> let's face it, it was the sign. Now, also, we don't have time to get into it, but there's a number of passages in, uh, in the Old Testament that basically say the same thing, that talk about a future temple. So the bottom line is this. Someday, according to Scripture, there will be a third temple built in the city of Jerusalem, built in unbelief of Jesus, built in uh, belief that the Messiah is still yet to come, 
and many people will probably receive either this first beast, the Gentile ruler, this final Antichrist, or more possibly the second beast, the false prophet, as the Messiah. We don't know, or possibly both of them, because in, when Jesus came the first time, there were some uh, sects of Judaism that uh, thought there may be two Messiahs, uh, Messiah, son of Joseph, Messiah, son of David. Possibly that's going on at that time. We don't know. But bottom line is, they're going to accept this person as the Messiah. Remember Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. Another will come in his own name. Him you will receive, John chapter 5. Well, this is what we're talking about here. So these passages assume, assume there will be a third temple built in the city of Jerusalem someday at the time of the end, built in unbelief of Jesus. But <clears throat> it is not only the um, uh, Bible that talks about this. It also is the discussion of many commentators in the last 2,000 years of church history. One of the um, things I did, and we've talked again when we did the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the 25 signs with you last year, we mentioned the fact that not only does the Bible predict these events that are going to take place, but there are also people that lived in the past that did this also. And when I say past, I mean past Bible commentators who took the Bible seriously. When I put together my book, 25 Signs Were Near the End, what I did, I ordered, I ordered about 30 books. And they were written anywhere from 70 years ago to like 300 years ago. In fact, one was even more than that, 400 years ago. And they're all written by people who look forward to the day of events that would take place in the future as the Bible predicted, but they had none of them in their time, their lifetime. In fact, the only ones they had were signs one and two, the miracle of Israel's survival and the destruction of those nations who attempted to thwart Israel. But, not, but none of the rest, none of them. We have all the rest right now in our day and age. And like I said, preparation to build the third temple is number eight. But many of them would comment in the past about you know, the future building of this temple when it seemed to be an impossibility. I want to read you a few of them to show you this is not something <clears throat> excuse me, that we are making up after the fact. In the second century, Irenaeus, a church father writing from A.D. 140 to 202, well, it was his lifetime, he probably didn't start writing in 140 because he was just born then, he wrote that the Antichrist would sit in a rebuilt Jerusalem temple. Listen to what he says. He will reign, speaking of this Antichrist, time, times, and a half a time, Daniel 7.25, or three, three and a half years, and he will sit in the temple at Jerusalem, then the Lord shall come from heaven and cast him to the lake of fire and shall bring to the saints the time of reigning, the seventh day of hallowed rest, and give to Abraham the promised inheritance. Boy, that's a fully loaded quote there. There's going to be a future for the Jews, the descendants of Abraham. A future temple will be built. Now, this is 100 years or so after the destruction of the second temple. Talk about a future temple that will be built by this final Antichrist. Hippolytus in uh, AD 220 wrote, Talk about Daniel 7. Shows that the one, the little horn which budded, is none other than the Antichrist who will restore the kingdom of the Jews. Christ Jesus sprung from the Hebrews, he too will be born a Jew. Christ declared his flesh to be a temple and raised it on the third day. Now get this. So he, <clears throat> the Antichrist, will restore at Jerusalem the temple of stone the temple of stone. So predicting there, this is in AD 220, a third temple will be built. <clears throat> Cyril of Jerusalem, AD 360. Antichrist sits in the temple of God, but what temple is spoken of? 
the Jewish temple. If he came to the Jews as the Messiah, he would surely wish to be worshipped by the Jews so that he may deceive them as much as possible. He will diligently set about building the temple, thus causing it to be believed that he is one from the family of David who should build the temple originally reared by Solomon. Now, there's, there's more and more in the past, but what, uh, there's a couple in the uh, present time that I want to mention to you that are recent and but when I say recent this is recent but not in the history of the church recent as far as we're concerned uh, this is my favorite one I always love this Robert Govet and his commentary on Revelation listen to this this, this is incredible to me <clears throat> the temple of Jerusalem will yet be rebuilt by the Jews in unbelief and be the scene of wickedness greater than has ever appeared while then the temple had been destroyed at the date of the writing of the book of Revelation that's approximately AD 90 it was hereby predicted that the temple would be rebuilt till the Jew is brought back to his own land and the temple and sacrifices restored. The prophetic part of the book of Revelation does not begin, close quote. That's Robert Govet on his commentary in the book of Revelation, written in the year 1861, 1861, 1,800 years after the city of Jerusalem was destroyed, after the temple was destroyed, where the Jews are now scattered to the four corners of the earth in 1861. There's no Jew to be seen, maybe one here or there in the Holy Land. The Holy Land's a land of desolation. And yet he says, till the Jew comes back to his land and the temple is rebuilt and the sacrifices start, then this part of Revelation can't be fulfilled. Now, can you imagine, do you ever think about this? Someone writing 18 centuries after the fact, there's no state of Israel at that time. There's a nation in exile. There's no, the, the Holy Land was, a, a, it's, it's interesting, we had the 150th anniversary last year of Mark Twain's book, The Innocents Abroad. When he visited in 1867 and wrote a book, The Innocents Abroad, it was not the Holy Land. It was a land of cactus, spiders, uh, scorpions, as desolate land. He said when they traveled there to Jerusalem, they didn't see a human being on the whole route, the whole route there. There wasn't one human being there. And uh, in other words, this is the Holy Land. What's so, where's the land of milk and honey? Where is it? And so he was, Govet was writing about this time. And yet he talks about the Jew coming back and basically not only coming back to the land, but building the temple again. Uh, amazing. Why did he believe it? Because the Bible said so. He had these passages we just read. Jesus said it's the sign, Matthew 24, 15, the abomination of desolation. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians, the man of sin will sit in the temple of God, claiming himself to be God. John said in Revelation 13, uh, this person will put an image, this beast, second beast of this first it beast in the Holy of Holies to make the people worship the beast. And Revelation 11 talks about measuring the temple of God there. Uh, the angel will do that. And again, this is at the time of the end. Benjamin Wills Newton also, uh, about that time, 1879, said this. <clears throat> when the Lord Jesus again used this well-known expression, abomination of desolation, what could they expect but that a time that should come when an idol should be again established and worshiped in the temple of Israel? Again, just like what happened, remember I said 167 BC, and so it will be. There are three passages in Daniel that refer to this future scene of blasphemous idolatry in the temple of Jerusalem. We know from various parts of scripture that the Jews, perhaps soon, will regather themselves to Jerusalem in unbelief. 
We know that they will restore their temple, and these passages in Daniel tell us into whose hands that temple will fall and to what use it will finally be applied, seeing that these events are expressly said to be at the last end of the indignation, close quote, against Jerusalem at the time when the transgression has come to the full, it is evident that they are yet to occur at a time that is still future, close quote. All right, he wrote that in 1879. We have a whole bunch of other commentators that say the same thing, but I think you get the point. So here's the key. <clears throat> According to scripture, before Jesus left this world, he pronounced judgment on the city and on the temple, that it would literally be destroyed, and it was within a generation, but also based on scripture, it's going to be rebuilt, and the sacrifices will begin again. The key verse of this is Daniel 12:11, which says this, from the time that the daily sacrifice is removed and the abomination of that causes desolation is set in place, there are 1,290 days. In other words, once the sacrifices are stopped, once this abomination of desolation takes place, something is placed in the Holy of Holies, an image of this beast. Uh, the people are forced to worship it. They cannot worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob any longer. They worship this beast upon pain of death because his cohort, the false prophet, uh, commands that. And he performs great signs showing some type of uh, supernatural ability. From that time on, you can start counting days, 1,290 or three and a half years, and the kingdom of God comes to earth. Now, this is not the rapture of the church. This is the second coming of Christ to the earth. But you've got 1,290 days that will occur. And so if we look at all the things that are here, all right, we come up with this. There, according to scripture, not, at least nine things must be in place for this to happen, all right? They include the following, all right? Number one. The Jews must still exist in the last days. And let me tell you, that was not a slam dunk considering the nations of antiquity who no longer exist. Number two, and here's the main one, they will have returned to their ancient homeland after being scattered worldwide. Can you imagine making a prediction like that? Never in the history of the human race has a nation been removed from their homeland and ever come back except with the Jews. It happened not once but twice, once for the 70-year Babylonian captivity and once with, again, the second return in 1948. All right, when they return, they're going to be an actual nation or state. All right, their territory will include East Jerusalem or the Temple Mount. Why do we say that? Well, you can only build a temple in one place, and that's where the first and second temple stood upon the Temple Mount there. They're in the land of, in unbelief of Jesus, how do we know that? Well, real simple. You don't build a temple and offer sacrifice if you believe in Jesus because he performed the ultimate sacrifice, the final one on Calvary's cross. So you've got unbelieving Jews coming back to the land in the last days, uh, in taking East Jerusalem, uh, in control of East Jerusalem, building their temple. The temple will be built on the same site as the previous ones stood. Um, you know, they will have a functioning temple, obviously, too. Uh, they'll have authority over that area, the Temple Mount, and of course, the sacrifices will be taking place. You can't stop the sacrifices, right? Unless they're started in the first place. So nine things are assumed to be in place. Well, let's go down the list. The Jews will still exist in the last days. 
Well, that is our first of actually our 25 signs. We're near the end, the miracle of Israel's survival. And one of the verses we quote is Daniel 12, 1, when it talks about in the last days, there's going to be a terrible time of trouble Daniel's people will experience, but God will deliver them. And this is where we get the phrase that, you know, the uh, great tribulation time of great distress, Daniel 12, 1 says. Well, if they're going to be delivered from this time of great distress in the last days, they have to exist, right, to be delivered from it. So there's the assumption that will be Jews that exist in the last days. They will return to their ancient homeland, too, is another uh, 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 passage, uh, another truth that's here. In other words, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will come back to their ancient homeland in the last days. Ezekiel 38.8 tells us that in the last days at the very last time. Twice in the same verse, he tells it's going to be at the end of time, the last days. A nation, they will come back, gather from all nations back to the land that has been devastated by war. In other words, they're going to come back in the last days, not to a land of milk and honey, but to a land that's been devastated by war. And you know one of the amazing things now? This is mind-boggling. This literally is mind-boggling. The Jews, in, when they formed their modern state in 1948, when they became a modern state, they, it was very much impoverished as it was. The land that was there, they had to work it to make it produce anything. Just recently... Uh, they have been voted as the eighth most powerful country in the world. Israel is the eighth. Can you imagine that? This little tiny country here. It's only existed for 70 years in its modern form. The eighth most powerful country in the world. And what does Ezekiel say? They will create great wealth when they come back. Interesting. And so we, I mean, it's amazing all these things falling into place. So they return to their ancient homeland. The third assumption, they're going to be an actual nation state. That's happened 70 years ago. We just had the anniversary of that. Their territory will include East Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. Now, this is interesting because remember in 1948 when the modern state of Israel was miraculously reborn, East Jerusalem was not in their hands. Uh, the, the city was split down the middle. It was in the hands of a country called Transjordan. And so careful Bible students said there's going to have to be another war and they're going to have to liberate Jerusalem. And we just had the 51st anniversary of that this month, last month of June, June 6th, where in uh, 1967, East Jerusalem was liberated, the Temple Mount, the Mount of Olives, the Golan Heights and that, as the Bible assumes it would be. And it's been 51 years now they have done that. And that's why it's interesting, like, you know, Tom and I can say certain things on the TV, Barry, Mike McIntosh, James, who'll be coming on, James Cadiz on the new program we do. The new live ones coming up uh, starting the 22nd of August there on, on his channel as we expand our live programs. But we can say this. We're not prophets. We're not sons of prophets. But this is what the book says. The book says this is what the world's going to be like in the last days. And to be like this, for a temple to be built, it, the Temple Mount has to be in the hands of the Israelis. There's only one place you can build it where God put his first and second temple. That's where the third temple will be. And so careful Bible students from 1948 to 1967 said, there's got to be another war because Israel has to take that territory. And in 1967, voila, it took place. Been like that for 51 years. Same site. Now, uh, also, uh, they will come back to the land uh, in unbelief of Jesus. That's true. They're in unbelief of Jesus right now. So the first five assumptions are all in place. Now, we've got some that are still waiting to be done. A functioning temple. That hadn't happened yet. Uh, built on the same site where the previous temple stood. That hadn't happened yet. Israel will have complete authority over the Temple Mount. Well, that hasn't happened yet either. The custodianship is in the hands of Jordan right now that they gave it back, but they will have that. And again, finally, for the sacrifices to stop, they must take place in the first place. Now, 
about the, the technology and, and all that that's going on, you know, and uh, preparing for the building of the third temple. Again, today, over 1,400 Jews went up to the Temple Mount, the most ever on Tisha B'Av, and the day of the temples were destroyed, uh, wishing to build the third temple, uh, praying for that. The, uh, the sacred vest vessels and vestments have been made. There's something like 60 different vessels that have been made, constructed, be placed in a third temple. Uh, the priests have been trained. They're already get 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 going, start rocking and rolling. The problem is, is you know, having the authority of the Temple Mount in their hands, which is not yet to be. In 2014, the Temple Institute, this is the group that is preparing to build the third temple, launched a campaign to raise money for architectural drawings uh, that, of the soon-to-be-built temple. And as uh, the article that promoted this stated that they wanted to rebuild literally the third temple, they start a campaign through the power of crowdfunding, they had the title, Don't Make History, Make the Future, Build the Third Temple. The campaign promises that this generation of children is ready to see the center of Jewish worship rebuilt once and for all. And we have many stories about that tomorrow we'll talk about on Breaking News, about all the things that are still being prepared and some of the statements that are continuing to be made. However, the Temple Institute campaign means, brings to this, this speculation to practical fruition. Now is the time for one of the most ambitious projects yet, completing architectural plans for the actual construction, fusing ancient text and modern technology, the campaign's description states. While strictly adhering to the religious requirements found in the Bible, the third temple will be equipped with every modern amenity, full computerization, underground parking, temperature control, elevators, docks for public transportation, wheelchair access, and much more, close quote. Obviously, this group is serious about building the third temple. So here we go. We're on the day where in um, 586 years before the time of Christ, the first temple was destroyed. We're on the same day in AD 70, the second temple was destroyed. And in recognizing that today, we recognize the fact that the Bible predicts someday there'll be a third temple built in the city of Jerusalem and the basically the desolation of it, this or the abomination that'll take place there will be the sign according to Jesus where you can start marking time and in 1290 days after that, the kingdom of God comes to earth. As we said, nine things must be in place for this to happen. Five out of the nine are already in place. They're back in the land, they're there in unbelief, they control East Jerusalem, et cetera, et cetera. We've still got a few things to go, but the stage is being set. The preparations have been made. It's just a matter of God's timing. Now, if you think about it, there is no way on earth this could happen by chance. This is not a coincidence. This is not something that happened by luck. This has been divinely inspired by God. The Jews coming back in unbelief, coming back and building a temple there on the Temple Mount, thinking that's going to make them, you know, the place where the Messiah will come. Well, he will come, but not, the first one they received was not the one they're expecting. It's one who will be a false Messiah. But here we are in 2018, and the stage is set for all these things to take place. It's, I mean, it's incredible how it's all um, right now in front of our eyes, 
falling into place. The word of God is shown to be true. And that's why if, you know, today all we have to do is open our eyes to the truth of God. In the past, these commentators that lived thousands of years ago, basically they had to go by faith. They didn't have what we have today. We have this sign. This is sign number eight. And as you notice, even under sign number eight, there's nine things that have to be in place to fulfill this sign, and five of them are already fulfilled. Like I said, we may have 25 signs we're near the end, but each one has a number of points that are literally fulfilled right now in front of our very eyes. And so today, we don't have to exercise faith. We just have to open our eyes to what's going on in the world. It is absolutely mind-boggling to see these things take place. Some of the statements that are coming out of the people from Israel right now, like the one that the 25th book of the, the, the Bible will be written this year. You know, they only accept the Old Testament and they've got 24. We're writing the last one because we're going to build the temple and the Messiah will come. This is what they're thinking. And sooner or later, it's going to take place. When? We don't know. But the stage is being set for all that to happen. So we live in a very exciting time. It's really great to be alive at this time to see these sort of things. But we have a responsibility now, uh, since we are not here by chance, we are here by God's design, to be salt and light, to tell the world the truth about not the second coming of Christ, but the first coming of Christ, which is the real issue, the cross of Christ, the coming of the Lord Jesus to die for the sins of the world, and the fact that he did come the first time to suffer for us as the Lamb of God, when he will come back according to Revelation 5, 5, as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, as King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the wonderful future for you and I, for all of us who believe in him. And again, when we look at what was predicted in Scripture, what people who had only Scripture predicted the world would be like at the time of the end, and what we see today, it all fits like the proverbial hand in the glove, all falling into place miraculously. So in other words, we just open our eyes, we see the truth of the Word of God right before our very eyes. Isn't this a great time to be alive to see these sort of things? Aren't we, isn't that exciting? And so it is... Yeah. It's just mind-boggling that the Lord has allowed us to live and see this. Because let me tell you, for the last 2,000 years, a lot of people wanted to see what we see, never saw it. Wanted to hear what we hear, never heard it. And now we are overwhelmed with all these things taking place right now in front of our very eyes. 